It's Europe Calling with Neil Colborne and Vince Tracy. All the things you might have missed. Europe Calling. So, very good day, everybody. A happy new year. The 2nd of January 2024. Our weather, very, very nice actually. On the mountain, definition is clear. Bit of cloud around. It's possibly going to be a little cooler today, but then again, it changed yesterday. Who knows what it'll be? I'm going due west for about um, 40 minutes and I should find Neil. So, a very happy new year to you, Neil, and uh, what's your weather like? Well, happy new year, Vince, and uh, to our listeners. Uh, I've been out, I've had my walk, and lovely sunshine, but now there's a filter of light, very light clouds coming in, but sun's breaking through a bit, so it should should still be all right. Yeah. Just a little bit of a breeze. Yeah. So lovely. So, you had a nice walk? Yeah, yeah, shorts. And uh, I did put a sweatshirt on, just in case. Well, I must admit, I'm sort of in two minds about my shorts at the moment, so we'll, uh, I'll, I'll give it another hour and then we'll see what happens. Yeah, it looks like it's breaking through this. It's only a flimsy bit of cloud, but it's still lovely outside. Yeah. At this time of year, especially. Yeah. Okay, so uh, where are we going? Let's see. We'll start with this one today. <laughs> Okay, so female weather presenters, uh, what's this all about? These are in the papers, uh, it's whether or not it's important and it's whether or not we feel um, that it's um, being reported correctly as well. Fighting back against the misogynistic stereotype of the weather girl after spending the majority of their careers being objectified, judged by their looks and harassed on the streets. Uh, while to some the worn cliché might seem harmless, meteorologists are speaking up about the issue, revealing they've been sent sex toys, had their body parts analysed online, fan clubs and had stalkers. Uh, Sam Fraser, who has worked for BBC South today since 2012, said that the constant emphasis on their appearance makes each turn... Um, presenters into competition in an endless beauty pageant, encouraging judgment and not criticism from the public. Female presenters face being told they have put on weight or have lost weight, whether their underwear is visible or if a certain item of clothing is too young or too old for them, all from strangers sitting in their armchairs at home. Uh, BBC weather presenter Causa Quayama told Mail Online that the weather girl stereotype that has been in place for decades has been so damaging it could discourage well-qualified women from joining the profession. Well, Neil, um, you must have an opinion on this one. Whoa! Hey, I, I love looking at them women doing the... Uh, it's no better than having a nice, smiley woman telling you what the weather's going to be like, is it? Even if it's bad weather. I'd sooner have that than a grumpy old man, you know, <laughs> talking to me. Ah, lovely. And how they dress and everything, they're, very, they're all very smart, and a lot of them are very good looking. So I don't know what all this malarkey, you're going to get trolls and, uh, and stalkers, but, you know, if, you, if you're a girl in an office block or a shop worker or, you know, if somebody takes a fancy to you, you know, it's just the weirdos, isn't it? But I don't. You keep putting girls on, I'll keep watching weather, no problem. Well, look, I'm entirely with you because, um, you know, yeah, the weather is important, of course it is, uh, but the differences between having somebody like you've outlined who is uh, very positive, uh, smiling away, making you feel that uh, they've bothered to... Um, 
you know, uh, put put themselves about to, to, you know, put a nice appearance together. Um, I mean, what's the idea? Is the idea that we should um, not have an opinion about things like this? Because one of the comments that um, I read further down in this article was from somebody called Alol. I don't know what that means, but anyway. Who do you really think you are? We don't need any presenters for the weather. Just roll it out without the men and women. These ladies got to get over themselves. You're presenting weather, which I can get for free by looking out of a window. Sounds like they need more airtime. Weather divas, who'd thought such a thing could exist? Now, is that another? Is that a genuine way of looking at it? Well, then, uh, you, you, no, it's not. You, well, so then you've got newsreaders. And in the morning, there's usually a male and a female. You know, you, when, you, when you look at the female, she's smiling and telling you all, all, all the things, you know. But, I mean, weather girls are lovely. Even if it's bouncing down outside and she comes on and says, but later on it's going to dry up, you think, hey, thanks for that, love. You're looking beautiful today. Lovely. All these herbs are co- Oh, we don't need it. Well, don't put it on. If he, don't, if, if he can look outside of his, of, of his window and say that, he knows what the weather's going to be like. Well, that's fine. You stick to that, whatever you're doing, and let these girls keep telling me what weather's like. Well, I don't know about you, but I just feel people have got strong opinions or, you know, they seem to want people to see their opinion over virtually anything. And it's like, for me, um, you know, uh, you should you should sort of earn your stripes, if you like. If you're going to have an opinion about something... Put in the legwork, do the reading, do the uh, the research, etc. Um, but I mean, if you uh, accept the weather forecast for what it is, I think there's a serious point here, which um, is a bit easy to overlook, which is basically that the girls and the men um, who come out and read the weather, they are not just there for their looks at all. They're there because they are experts in meteorology, I think it's called. Um, whichever way. Like that, yeah. yeah. That's easy for you to say, isn't it? <laughs> well, I mean, the thing is, uh, I remember when I did an interview with Jack Frost many years ago, um, you know, it was, a, it was talking about the um, the big hurricane that came in 1987 and uh, people had missed it. You know, he'd been one that had missed it. Um, and he was explaining that they don't work for the BBC or the ITV. They work for the meteorologic uh, people um, and that they basically are very well studied and they've um, had to study and prepare the bulletin that they are now preparing to give out to us. And I don't know about you, um, I I look at some of the ways these people um, make the presentation and I just think they're very, very professional, actually. Exactly, but the people like him, you know, oh, I can just look outside and I'll see the weather. No, the, these, the, I, I think people think that they just give these girls a script, you know, to say, you go on there, you don't know anything about it, you go on there, just read all that down there. No, they've done years, you know, looking at the weather fronts and how they come in and, you know, and they tell you all about it and they point it out to you. So people like him just want to keep his nose out. If you don't want to look at it, well, keep looking through your window. Yeah. And probably start licking it as well while you're there. <laughs> I, do, I do think also, though, um, you, you do hear people talking and uh, in just general conversation and everything, they do really criticise far too much. You know, um, by all means, there are times when you can look at somebody on TV and you think, yeah, they've not really thought too much about how they're presenting themselves today. Um, You know, so, I mean, if that's the case, um, yeah, I suppose if you're putting yourself on TV or at least putting yourself up for being on TV, then the minimum that you do is probably make yourself look presentable. Same as like in any job. I mean, if you're a teacher or if you're a barrister going to the courts or, you know, that sort of thing. I think the yeah. trouble, I think the, the thing is people do tend to forget um, that uh, you can really, um, you, you know, you get some people who put a lot of effort into how they uh, uh, appear and other yeah. people don't really put that effort in, do they? Exactly. And, and then the, 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 uh, uh, criticising them, they probably look like, you know, they're probably dressing, 
you know, ripped jeans, t-shirts, also. And I'm not, I'm not knocking that because I have ripped jeans. Well, I used to. I don't have ripped jeans now. But uh, they, they just want to moan. People just like to moan. Oh, and don't forget the television. They reckon it puts about six pound on you, doesn't it? You know, from what you actually look like. Yes. You know, with the way the cameras work. And you know, and then they go, oh, she's putting weight on. And then next minute. She, she takes that into her head, loses a couple of pounds, and next minute, oh, she's too thin now. She's too thin. You know, she's a news, she's a weather girl or a newsreader. Accept her for what she is and how she's smartly dressed and telling you something that you might want to know that might benefit you. You know, you might think, oh, I'm going out, and all of a sudden she comes on and says, do not travel such a place because it's going to be heavy snow, you'll be, you know, blocked in and all that. No. There's too many mourners about all time. Yeah, I agree with you there, by the way. And I think that there are far too many people who seem to forget. You get off your backside and go and turn the television off. If you don't like it, switch it off. It's as simple as that, really, isn't it? Well, they don't do that now. Not like like me and you. We, we, were, the, uh, we were the remote control, weren't we? Yeah. If your mum and dad were there and your mum wanted something on and your dad wanted go and turn that over. So he had to walk to it. No, these are just layout sets. He's just pressing button, aren't they? You know. I'm afraid they are. Okay, yeah. uh, here comes the next one. You'll like this one. Here we go. Ooh, one? can't wait. Yeah, okay. So we'll go to... Um... Okay, so we're going to talk about a teenage darts superstar. Uh, this is somebody called Luke Littler. Uh, and uh, just, you know, this is what's in the papers. Was embraced by a mystery blonde as he continued his fairy tale run at the World Darts Championships by securing his place in the semi-finals. He's 16. He's from Warrington. And he got an affectionate peck from the young lady as he darted over to celebrate with his family. He just uh, swept aside the veteran Brendan Dolan 5-1 during a showdown at London's Alexandra Palace. He also posed for selfies with a raucous crowd, which has taken him under its wing and appeared to make light of a close encounter with the Ali Pali Wasp during his thrilling victory. It means that Littler, who's been dubbed the Prince of the Palace, has now bagged himself a guaranteed £100,000 payday for reaching the semi-final of the tournament, becoming the youngest player in history to do so. Remarkably, uh, the youngster, who was a 150-to-1 outsider before the tournament, is now just one game away from reaching the final where he could bag £200,000 as a runner-up or half a million if he takes the title. OK, number one, have you been watching it? And number two, what do you think of him? I've watched every game. There you go, I see, that's me. Any sports, I'm on it. Yeah. What a breath of fresh air. Yes. Oh, marvellous. Uh, he just gets up. Bang, bang, bang. It's like, hang on a minute. It's like a ph phenomenon, you know. And all these older pros, you know, you, you, you know, your Van Gerwens and all that that have been around for a long time, and he played uh, Van Barneveld, five-time five -time winner, and he just steps up as though not a nerve in his body yeah. and just wipes, up, wipes the floor with them all. He was like, hang on, am I watching the same thing here, or is this a settle? Oh, what a great bit of breath of fresh air for darts and everything. Yeah. Probably 16-year-old. I mean, he does look a bit older. People have been moaning about that, by the way. Yes. Oh, he looks older than 16 to me. You know what I mean? He, but honestly, I, I, I hope he does win it. You know, I, I really do, because he's played absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Well, I, I know that um, apparently he can't drink, or, you know, obviously he's probably... Um, uh, doing the right thing, which is making out that uh, he's never touched a drop. But having said that, um, he certainly doesn't give you the appearance of being a 16-year-old, does he? No. And every time he wins, he goes and gets a kebab. <laughs> you know, he has a massive kebab. And he keeps asking, Do you think I should have a kebab tonight? Never won. Yeah, yeah, right, I'll go and get one. You know? <laughs> and 
And then all these people... I mean, so a, a girl comes up to him and kisses him. Hang on, shall we start with, uh, oh, sexual harassment now? And, you know, oh, give me a favour. He's bouncing, they're, they're all cheering for him, and then he goes to the front of the stage, they throw the phones to him, and he takes a, a, a thingy for him with him and, and whoever the, the phone is. Yeah. I think it's great, well, honestly. I think one of the things about the darts, I mean, don't you remember, we had uh, Eric Bristow and Dennis the Menace Priestley came into the studio, so yeah. I had a nice interview yeah. with uh, with the pair of them, actually. Um, so... Um, what what was pretty obvious by the time you talk to uh, these guys, it's the fact that you've got to, it doesn't matter what you do, uh, who you are, what you've done before, two hours before, a couple of days before or whatever, the minute you go on the hockey, the, the line that uh, is the distance between you and the dartboard, you've got to produce the goods, haven't you? Exactly. You've got to keep practising and practising. People think, you know, that they just... They play all year round now, you know, in Europe, and then they fly to America and play in their open and Australia and that. But it's unbelievable that it, Phil Taylor, <coughs> excuse me, uh, best player we've ever had. I don't think anybody will get as many world titles as him and, and uh, quite a few of his other things. He was a phenomenon when he come along. But this man, honestly, I, I think he's a big breath of fresh air for the game, which will encourage others. But I know it's not like we have to do, you know, go out Tuesdays and Thursday nights training, running around pitches and, and stuff like that. But they've still got to keep practising, walking up and down the hockey and keep coming back and keep practising for hours on end. I think it's great for game. What about the, um, you know, the, the, the lifestyle that they seem to have that goes with the darts? I mean... You know, it's not the healthiest of lifestyles. And you can see actually in him um, that he's obviously a little bit over... Well, in fact, quite a bit yeah, over. He's not going to be a male model, is he? <laughs> no. no. You, you know what I mean? But don't forget, we had, we had Jockey Wilson. You know, all them at one time, it were called... It uh, were held at the embassy. It were sponsored by embassy sigs. And they could have a sig while they were playing like they used to do when they were practising in vault. You know, when you could have smoking in, in vault. This is the lifestyle, you know. But now, have you noticed this uh, This other guy, this Lou Humphreys? He's he's a stick of a lad. And he's got an absolute fabulous action, just nice and easy, nice and easy all the time. So there are people, but you're going to get people that are overweight, whether they're whether girls, whether news readers, whether they're footballers, whatever. You know, it's just as it is. And if you can win, you know, half a million quid, and it's the first time he's ever got... He's been the World Youth Champion for... He had to go for so long, and he had to qualify for this. Yeah. And he's qualified, and look where he is now. Yeah. Can't no, wait for tonight. No, it's uh, it's exciting, and certainly, um, yeah, I, I'm feeling exactly the same as you. It just is a breath of fresh air. And um, I think also, I think it's easy to criticise the lifestyle and forget the discipline of actually practising the darts. Yeah, he'll have gone home, had his kebab, had uh, a night's kip. He'll be, out, he'll be out now, because he don't play until tonight. He'll be now on a board practising all day, all day. You know, it, you, you've, got to, you've got to stick with it, you know. Yeah. It's like runners. I used to have, you know, fell runners. I used to say, are you mad? You can go up there in your car. You know, no, no, but they'd be out at five and six o'clock in the morning doing like 15, 20, 30 miles. Yeah. And you, and you say to me, sir, you must be crackers. There's nothing at the end of that, only that you've trained, you know. <laughs> but that's how it is. It's the discipline that you've got to have with yourself. Yeah. Okay, uh, let's go to um, the next one then. So this is a little bit more serious. In fact, it's a lot more serious. I saw this uh, picture in the papers yesterday and the caption underneath, a killer has starred in a gangster rap video from behind bars, the grieving mother of his victim has claimed. 
Uh, Zoe McGill believes Callum Madison, who was 15 when he knifed her son Jack Woodley in the back, is the rapper in a short film uploaded to TikTok. Mobile phones are strictly prohibited in young offenders' institutions. And she thinks Madison, who is serving life for murder, recorded and shared it on the social media platform using a contraband device. Uh, the lady is 37-year-old from Newton Acliffe in County Durham and uh, said he's rapping about being big and hard and how he is a gangster. Now... This is the sort of things that the, 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 the newspapers seem to be so... Uh, it seems almost like they want to put in the papers these days. Uh, if it is all true, and remember uh, that this um, has been claimed, it hasn't been proven yet, but I don't think the paper would be daft enough to um, put the... Uh, you, you know, put, put the video online unless something substantial was known about it. So what's your thoughts on what we've been talking about? Well, if it is right, it, it proves what we keep saying every every week and everything, that these, these prisons now, they're like holiday camps. You can get drugs inside. You can get, as you say, you can make a video in a prison of a rapper who's killed somebody, it, it's just disgusting to me. You, you need to nail them down. Forget all the walks who say, oh, well, he's in his room 23 hours a day. Yeah, well, the poor lad who's in grave, he, he's got to stay in there 23 hours a day, all the time. And they, they keep messing about and they're giving them gyms and televisions and, and Wi-Fis and they're having phones sent in. And, I mean, it's an absolute joke going to prison. If it carries on like that, you might as well not book for bucklings. You might as well just go for six months in, in clink. If, um, you know, if I didn't switch off from what I do, which is basically to look at the news, how it's presented to us, how, uh, you know, people are looking. With it being online now, you see, I don't know how uh, you get your news the same. I mean, obviously, we get things from the TV, but I do get an awful lot of things that come on the Internet, which I don't see later on the news bulletins, like, for example, uh, a lot of violence, which... You're there to be reading a newspaper, but suddenly you've got a violent video comes online now, and it's almost like the tampering uh, with your brain all the time. That you've got uh, just a picture, then you've got the the story that goes with it. But now more than that, whether you like it or not, you've got a violent video that goes on the side of the bulletin that you're reading about. Now, editors are making these decisions. You know, yeah. the, these. I mean, the newspapers—they just want to rake up anything they can, just to sell papers. They don't care. Sometimes they don't even care if it's true or not. They just throw it out there and let people make their own mind up. You know, it, it, it all wants clamping down. Everything. You know, I mean, UK. I, as I said, I'm glad I'm over here, and I have—I still have family and friends over there, and I, I worry myself about them. You know, I'm thinking, is this what it's like over there now, all the time? Yeah. yeah, it's absolutely awful. Um, just so that we don't forget this, by the way, there has been a tremendous uh, lot of problems in Japan with the tsunami and the earthquakes and everything. Uh, so like we say with other podcasts, because obviously we've got um, Russia and Ukraine and, and Gaza and Israel and everything, um, it's yet another flashpoint of problems in the world. Uh, I mean, these are um, horrendous times, aren't they, J just for Japan alone yeah. on that particular point? Yeah, the earthquakes, yeah. I mean, every, every time you put the news on, you know nobody's going to cheer you up. Yeah. You, you know, it's like... Well, what am I going to be bombarded with today that, that I don't think's right, you know, or whatever? But you, you never sort of get any good news. You know, it's not like saying, oh, we do all the, all the news. No, you don't. Yeah. You just, you just keep filling us with depressing uh, bulletins about everything, you know. What's your feeling about the content that was shown all the time? Because from what you're saying, and, and I'm listening carefully, um, you know, you've probably felt very much like I feel. I feel like there's groups of people, editors um, and the sub-editors, obviously, 
who were basically the looking for miserable, depressing, horrible stuff rather than something to uplift us. Exactly. That, that's that's this, the point that every time you come on, you, there's never there's never one way you go. Oh, that's great. Oh, lovely that. I mean, like this loop thing. As I said, that's a breath of fresh air. That's the only thing I've seen on telly that's a breath of fresh air. Yeah. You know. And well, all of a sudden, like you've got you've got your Gaza, you've got Ukraine, you've got Japan, you've got uh, uh, Syria, you've got these Somali pilot, uh, pirates again. Yeah. How that works is beyond me. That you've got a rubber dinghy, and you've got to climb up about about 100, 100 feet up in air, and they say they're boarding our ship. Well, if you don't want them anywhere near, you just get a gun, pop the dinghy, and they can't climb up anyway, can they? No. You know. I, I... Every, every, every bit of news that you get really is it. It's, uh, it's supposed to be Christmas, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, all that. Yeah. You certainly tell you, only was depressed before in, before Christmas were. Well, well, I mean, if this uh, lady who's 37 and she's had her son killed, um, I mean, basically, you know, I don't know what the heck's wrong with people and TikTok because somebody is allowing that to go on. And they, they, if they can censor people who basically are putting things that they disagree with but are not offensive onto the likes of Facebook and TikTok or these other platforms um and they're not uh, and yet they're still allowing the likes of this thing to go out then people are obviously making decisions aren't they yeah it shouldn't be allowed as you say i know a couple of my mates in uk that, that put things on that i probably agree with them with or i like it and this that and the other and then they send me a message to say well the facts weren't quite right with our fact fact checkers well, hang on a minute. Tell me what's wrong with it. Yeah. You know, it's an opinion, but you let all, you know, uh, rappers fetch murder songs out and God knows what and this, that and the other. And then you never see them getting banned for three days or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, uh, no, let this get some depressing news out. That's all we need to do. You know, it'll sell more, it'll sell more papers, you know. Yeah. Okay, uh, let's go to the next one then. So, here we go. Okay, so the London Mayor was boasting... And uh, he was boasting that his New Year fireworks were the best in the world. And uh, this was after facing a backlash from critics who labelled it the Sadiq Khan show. Uh, just before the bongs of Big Ben sounded midnight, a message saying the Mayor of London presents was written high in the sky before a unity-themed display welcomed the New Year with the message London, a place for everyone. The celebration that lasted almost 15 minutes referenced the King's coronation and also used Charles's quote to mark the 75th anniversary of the Windrush crossing in which he said the new arrivals collectively enrich the fabric of our national life. There were repeated references to London's diversity and inclusivity with Mr Can telling the world everyone is welcome in a city where people can be themselves. But many critics took to social media to complain that the display was packed with political messaging ahead of Mr Khan's bid for re-election as mayor during May. Following the backlash, the Labour mayor posted a tweet for which he replies from other uh, from which replies from other users were blocked, saying London wasn't it marvellous. Last night our skies were lit up with a kaleidoscope of colours and glittering showers of light. Every year, I'm completely astonished by how utterly mesmerising it is. There's no doubt that these are the best New Year's Eve fireworks in the world. OK, um, really that's written as, I suppose, uh, half of it's a criticism of the London Mayor. The other half is the London Mayor able to tell everybody how wonderful he is. So what impression do you think you get from this guy, the Sadiq Khan, the London Mayor? 
can't be doing with him. It's me, 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 me. That's all he wants. He wants all the all the glory. And then next minute, in another fortnight, he'll put that alleviate thing, whatever it is, that we keep going out further and further with this uh, traffic uh, thing. You, you've got to pay 12 and a half quid a day to drive in. And, and you know what I mean? Uh, all of a sudden, because uh, it, it caused a bit of a stir when it, when they were going to fetch it in, he's had to hold back on it. But don't worry, he'll fetch it in, you know, and and that's what he's like. I hope it, I hope it gets bolted out. I don't care who they put in, but just get rid of him. You, you can see he's he's slimy when he talk when he talks to camera. He looks slimy. He talks slimy, you know, as though I am the man. You know, yeah, you're mayor of London, yeah, but you're not doing very much, are you? When he keeps saying, I mean, can you imagine that? We have great firework display. We had them on the beaches, didn't we, on uh, New Year's Eve here? Yeah. He didn't say, the mayor welcomes you to Benidorm uh, because I put all this on for you, you know, people. So, you know, this is for, from me to you, like he did with that one. You know, it's like, hang on a minute, and, and, and quoting this Prince Charles from the Windrush, that Windrush came here, they wanted to come, we needed them, you know, we needed them to, to fill jobs in that we couldn't be filling in, dingy. You know, it, it's like, hang on, everybody's welcome. You can't buy a house in London for under about 15 million in, in you know, the main parts of London. So what's he going on about? Everybody's welcome. Well, we're, we're welcoming loads of them, but, uh, you're, you know, on your head be it. I think the... You know, there are so many different strands to everything that's going on. I mean, it's like in the background, you well, in fact, I mean, I've been looking at different things that have cropped up again just while I've been reading. Um, you, you had a picture from Milan in Italy, and they were saying that uh, there were no, no Italians out celebrating New Year's Eve. It was all just people who have come in without papers. And, you know, you, you look at this and you think to yourself, hang on. Uh, Britain, uh, France, Germany. Um, when, when are people going to wake up to what's going on? Exactly. And like, like uh, I can't remember the name now, but they said, this, this is not, you know, this is not just people coming over who want to come and work here and this, that and the other. It's an invasion. And that's what it looks like to everybody, that normal people, that they're just invading all these countries. You know, it's like, hang on a minute, is nobody, you know, up in a big authority, you know, in Parliament, going to wake up and smell the coffee? You know, and say, whoa, hang on a minute, whoa, you know, let's just hold back for a minute and let's get things sorted. But, oh, no, you, and then you get them like Sadiq Khan. Oh, everybody's welcome. How many, how many has he got in his house? Yeah, well, Illig I mean... You know, migrants, Im illegal immigrants... Ask him how many he's got. It'll be NIMBY, not in my backyard, no. Yeah, and and I would imagine that an awful lot of the people that um, would have voted for him are only voting uh, because they're being told uh, it, probably a lot of it's down to ethnic groups of people saying, right, you know, vote for him. Um, yeah. as opposed to really looking at what he's doing and what he's really up to. Incidentally, I'm just looking at some headlines that are coming in on, uh, uh, again, the online press, and it's just astonishing how you've got a country suddenly gets all the attention. So you've got the awful uh, tsunami and the earthquake, and then a large airliner carrying more than 300 passengers caught fire at an airport near Tokyo, just a day after the brutal 7.6 magnitude earthquake devastated huge swathes of Japan's west coast. Shocking footage showed the Japan Airlines jet engulfed in a raging inferno as it sat on the runway at Haneda Airport in Otter City. Um, this is um, obviously plane with full of passengers, um, and the airliner apparently had collided with the Coast Guard plane as it travelled down the runway. Japanese TV reported with the collision causing the plane to erupt into flames. Isn't it amazing, though, the number of times you do seem to get a focus on a particular country and then it stays on the, the country with all sorts of different horrible things happening? Yeah. Okay. 
How can you have two planes collide on, on the runway? I, I mean, hang on a minute. They've got a great big tower. They've got all these people. They've got all the, you know, the gadgets and, and you know, the sat-navs and all that. And it, it, it crashes into a plane and it sets it up. Did they all die or did they all get off? It looks Does like it... it looks like they've got off. Uh, but, I mean, the thing is, it's sort of... Um... Uh, it's... How lackadaisical is that? You know, for for it to be another... Uh, somebody, somebody's made a bad shout there. Well, you they? probably remember the biggest aviation uh, problem in Spain's history was to do with a plane coming into Tenerife. And Ooh, yes. the, um, the airport controllers, they were actually watching te- uh, football on TV or something, weren't they? Yeah, and it, it, it slammed straight into... Where it Mount, is it Mount Tidy there? Yeah, or that's it, right. It, it, yeah. It's, it's up there, yeah, yeah, in Tenerife. I mean, I've got Tenerife normally and have a, a week there sometime in year. But, yeah, it's like, hang on a minute, these jobs, are, they're seriously well paid, but, I mean, how, how can somebody say, right, yeah, you're all right for takeoff, but... Just try and stay a bit more left of this one. There's one coming in this side of you, and they and they and they collide. <laughs> it don't give you much hope, does it? Because I'm away in in a fortnight, Oof. back over to Thailand for a for a few weeks. Yeah, and uh, I'm glad you put that on. <laughs> well, we'll tell you about the weather as well, according to what I'm reading. Amber Gare warning for 80 miles an hour gales in London. As Britain braces for Storm Hank, commuters face New Year travel hell on first day back to work with rail lines and roads in chaos. And then obviously you've got pictures of people all with the umbrellas up, all traipsing round and everything, you know. Um, I mean, Hang on, they're saying that there could be travel disruption. It's been like that all year with strikes and uh, them on 75 grand a year going out on strike because they've not got enough money, these railway drivers. Yeah. You know, do me a favour. It's all over the place. It's been like that for 12 months. So that's not breaking news, is it? <laughs> well, I don't know about you, but uh, it would appear to me that they... Uh, I mean, the, 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 even the weather in the newspapers is presented as if it's like a constant uh, bash against Britain and its um, people trying to just do normal things. I mean, I don't know about you. I remember back in the times that we lived there. I mean, the weather was bad, and uh, yeah, but you just you get on with it, don't you? Exactly. I, we had to walk to school in snow, two foot of snow. You know, people. You know, now they're all there in the Chelsea tractors in these four before big. You know, uh, Range Rovers and God knows what. We had trains to school. You know, every day, no matter whether it were wet, rain, sunshine, snowing, gale force winds, whatever. If you, if you look at the weather forecast now, for two days in advance, they oh, we better close these schools. Yeah. Don't be fetching your kids out in this. Yeah. You know. Yeah, <coughs> as you right, uh, rightly said, um, we did used to travel. I mean, I remember even when I was living in Cornwall down to, say, late 80s. And, you know, virtually every day of the week, I'd be travelling up in the car. The rain was bad or then it was snowing or whatever. Um, And then occasionally you'd get about six weeks of good weather, um, maybe the odd sun, uh, summer's beautiful spell. But, I mean... A lot of it was just about the West Coast and the rain because that's the way Britain is. You know, the, the... That's where it comes from, isn't it? From America coming over, you know, Atlantic and, and blasting everybody on that side. Yeah. But, and then soon, it, it's funny, isn't it? Everywhere's soaking wet all the way. All the, I mean, it, it's not four months ago they were saying we're going to have a drought and horsepipe bands and standpipes because they had two days of sunshine. Well, what are they doing with all this water? You know, and next minute, you, you get a nice summer that people can go on holiday and they well, it's global warming, it's global warming. That's all year now. You know, we've got to get the temperature down. Well, start walking out, you know, when you're freezing cold and then say it's global warming. Okay. All right, then, let's see what we've got for the next one. Here we go. Let's see what I can find. 
Okay, so for our next uh, bit of news and the way it's been reported, much lighter. We've got to get got to get the odd light one in, otherwise we'd we'd go off our heads. I think. Um, now the signpost turned landmark. Marking mainland Britain's most southwesterly point has seen hundreds of thousands of visitors flock to pose beside it since it was erected in the 1950s. So this is the, um, you're at Land's End. You know, people always walk to it and have a photograph taken. And um, this guy called Peter Puddyfat is a photographer who snapped visitors at this iconic signpost for 28 years. Just retired, he's 79, he said the Land's End has decided not to renew his contract with the local company that put the sign up. Penzance-based photo processing company Courtwood uh, Photographic has held a contract and owned the signpost for almost seven decades. During this time there, Peter has taken pictures of several celebrities at the uh, signpost, including people like Chris Evans, Gary Barlow, and um, various other professors and people like that. Anyway, um, so the question I ask is, have you been to that signpost and had the sign saying Manchester 700 and whatever miles or whatever, or Salford or something like that? Have you done that? Of course I've done it. Because Ailey's uh, brother and sister live down there, and when, when we go down, we always go and have a look. I don't, I don't know what attracts us. Silly, it's just the falls, and then all you see out is sea. <laughs> but it's Land's End. It's the, you know, it's the most. Is, what is it? Um, Easterly Point or Southerly Point or whatever it is. Yeah. And uh, and there's a photographer there all the time. So the, the, they're not. Having the contract for this photographer anymore? Yeah. It, it, it was a fellow who was earning a couple of quid, and he'd send you, and, and he'd give you a nice um, photograph of yourself and and your missus or whoever you're with or all your friends for a couple of quid. So, so now you you know what's going to happen now. Council will come in, they'll they'll put out prices up, and nobody will want taking them. So what you've got to do is set your own then in future. I mean, I've took loads of pictures for other people. You know where one's been taking their family? I say, hey, I give it here, I'll take yours. You get in with them. So you've got a full family thing. Yeah. Well, it, it's, I don't know what it does. Doesn't it? It's a signpost that, that draws you there. When, you, when you're in, you know, Penzance, Cornwall and that, it draws you to it for going and have another photograph. And I don't know what it is. I must <laughs> be going up my mind. <laughs> yeah. Okay, uh, where will we go next? Uh, yes, here's the next one. Okay, as you know, uh, New Year's Eve, everybody builds up and, you know, uh, makes your plans and everybody's parties are doing this, that and the other. Eurostar cancelled all of its services for New Year's Eve, leaving around 30,000 furious passengers stranded in London and ruining their New Year's Eve plans after flooding hit the major tunnel connecting Britain to mainland Europe. Many hoping to ring in 2024 with a romantic night in Paris, uh, watch fireworks from the ski slope or enjoy a family holiday to Disneyland have been left devastated with some left in tears uh, at St Pancras International Airport. Uh, sorry, uh, railway station that would be. Uh, the disruption began uh, when water-filled f- tunnels at Ebbsfleet International in Kent disrupting all the high-speed services south of the Thames. Did you see that? And um, what did I it? I saw that water pumping out of a out of a tube straight onto the lines. I'd start thinking about. Hang on a minute. Have we got enough concrete somewhere here? But you know, how, how does all that get? It was pumping in gallons, hundreds of gallons of uh, water about a minute, filling all these lines up. What's a weird one? Was it was a setup, just that they didn't want to, they didn't want to work, or they didn't have enough drivers, or whatever. I don't know. Well, it, it, there were people that were sort of making comments that they didn't really understand for a minute how on earth it could be flooding like that. 
but I, I mean, extreme weather, you'll always have problems anyway. Um, but you'd have thought that they would have thought that one long and hard and well before it happened. Yeah. Uh, it, it begs belief. UK gets tons and tons of rain all the time. And then all of a sudden, it comes to uh, Christmas Eve or New Year's Eve or whatever, and you can't go through uh, Channel Tunnel because it's flooded. Well, it's going underneath the Thames. So is, there's not an all in top of this concrete, is it? It's pumping it into, you know, into the system. I don't know. You better get your civil engineers on it and see what's happening. Well, um, as I say, I, I, um, I, I did read quite a few of the comments and there were a number of people that were saying, how on earth could this happen? Um, yeah. I mean, who, who the hell do you believe? I suppose you've got to go with these engineers because, uh, I mean, some of the things that we have uh, had built and everything, they are absolutely amazing. But, um, yeah, OK, uh, let me give you another... Yeah, just, just a quick note, the Mersey Tunnel... Never, never flooded, did it? No, I don't think. And that's been going did. for donkey's years. In fact, uh, we have two tunnels, of course, the Mersey. That's right, yeah. And I don't yeah. think either has ever flooded. So how does that work? Very interesting, Neil. I think you're there right. You I think there's a bit more to that, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. That's that were built donkey's years ago, Birkenhead and that area in two tunnels. 1953. Shut because it were flooded. Yes. Very, very um, interesting, that. Um, you, you had a picture from Milan in Italy, and they were saying that uh, there were no, no Italians out celebrating New Year's Eve. It was all just people who have come in without papers. And, you know, you, you look at this and you think to yourself, hang on, uh, Britain, uh, France, Germany, um when are people going to wake up to what's going on? Exactly. And like, like uh, I can't remember the name now, but they said, this is not, you know, this is not just people coming over who want to come and work here and this, that, and the other. It's an invasion. And that's what it looks like to everybody, that normal people, that they're just invading all these countries. You know, it's like, hang on a minute. Is nobody, you know, up in a big authority, you know, in Parliament, going to wake up and smell the coffee? You know, and say, whoa, hang on a minute, whoa, you know, let's just hold back for a minute and let's get things sorted. But, oh, no, you, and then you get them like Sadiq Khan. Oh, everybody's welcome. How many How many has he got in his house? Yeah, well, Illig I mean... You know, migrants, Im illegal immigrants... Ask him how many he's got. It'll be nimby, not in my backyard, no. Yeah, and and I would imagine that an awful lot of the people that um, would have voted for him are only voting uh, because they're being told uh, it, probably a lot of it's down to ethnic groups of people saying, right, you know, vote for him. Um, yeah. as opposed to really looking at what he's doing and what he's really up to. Incidentally, I'm just looking at some headlines that are coming in on, uh, uh, again, the online press, and it's just uh, astonishing how you've got a country suddenly gets all the attention. So you've got the awful uh, tsunami and the earthquake, and then a large airliner carrying more than 300 passengers caught fire at an airport near Tokyo, just a day after the brutal 7.6 magnitude earthquake devastated huge swathes of Japan's west coast. Shocking footage showed the Japan Airlines jet engulfed in a raging inferno as it sat on the runway at Haneda Airport in Otta City. Um, this is um, obviously plane with full of passengers, um, and the airliner apparently had collided with the Coast Guard plane as it travelled down the runway. Japanese TV reported with the collision causing the plane to erupt into flames. Isn't it amazing, though, the number of times you do seem to get a focus on a particular country and then it stays on the, the country with all sorts of different horrible things happening? Yeah. Okay. How can you have two planes collide on, on the runway? I mean, hang on a minute. They've got a great big tower. They've got all these people. They've got all the, you know, the gadgets and, and you know, the sat-navs and all that. And it, it, it crashes into a plane and it sets it up. Did they all die or did they all get off? 
it looks Does like it, it looks like they've got off. Uh, but I mean, the thing is, it's sort of. Um, uh, it's well, that's a daisical that you know for for it to another. Uh, somebody somebody's made a bad shout there. Well, you they? probably remember the biggest aviation uh, problem in Spain's history was to do with a plane coming into Tenerife. And Ooh, yes. the um, the airport controllers, they were actually watching te- uh, football on TV or something, weren't they? Yeah, and it, it, it slammed straight into... Where it Mount, is it Mount Tidy there? Yeah, or that's it, right. It, it, yeah. It's, it's up there, yeah, yeah, in Tenerife. I mean, I've got Tenerife normally and have a, a week there sometime in year. But, yeah, it's like, hang on a minute, these jobs, are, they're seriously well paid, but, I mean... How, how can somebody say, right, yeah, you're all right for takeoff, but th- th- just try and stay a bit more left of this one. There's one coming in this side of you. And they, and they, and they collide. <laughs> it doesn't give you much hope, does it? Because I'm away in, in a fortnight, Oof. back over to Thailand for a, for a few weeks. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I'm glad you put that on. <laughs> well, we'll tell you about the weather as well, according to what I'm reading. Amber Gare warning for 80 miles an hour gales in London as Britain braces for Storm Hank. Commuters face New Year travel hell on first day back to work with rail lines and roads in chaos. And then obviously you've got pictures of people all with the umbrellas up, all traipsing round and everything, you know. Um, I mean, Hang on, they're saying that there could be travel disruption. It's been like that all year with strikes and uh, them on 75 grand a year going out on strike because they've not got enough money, these railway drivers. Yeah. You know, do me a favour. It's all over the place. It's been like that for 12 months, so that's not breaking news, is it? <laughs> well, I don't know about you, but uh, it would appear to me that they... Uh, I mean, the, 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 even the weather in the newspapers is presented as if it's like a constant uh, bash against Britain and it's um, people trying to just do normal things. I mean, I don't know about you. I remember back in the times that we lived there. I mean, the weather was bad. And, uh, yeah, but you just you get on with it, don't you? Exactly. I, we had to walk to school in snow. Two foot of snow. You know, people, you know, now they're all there in the Chelsea tractors in these four before big, you know, uh, Range Rovers and God knows what. We had trace to school. You know, every day, no matter whether it were wet, rain, sunshine, snowing, gale force winds, whatever. If you, if you look at the weather forecast now, for two days in advance, they oh, we better close these schools. Yeah. Don't be fetching your kids out in this. Yeah, you know. Yeah, as you right, uh, rightly said, um, we did used to travel. I mean, I remember even when I was living in Cornwall down to say uh, late eighties, and you know, virtually every day of the week, I'd be travelling up in the car. And the rain was bad, or then it was snowing, or whatever. Um, and then occasionally, you'd get about six weeks of good weather. Um, maybe the odd sun, uh, summer's beautiful spell. But, I mean, a lot of it was just about the West Coast and the rain because that's the way Britain is. You know, the, the... That's where it comes from, isn't it? From America coming over, you know, Atlantic and, and blasting everybody on that side. Yeah. But, and then soon, it, it's funny, isn't it? Everywhere's soaking wet all the way. All the, I mean, it, it's not four months ago they were saying, we're going to have a drought and horsepipe bands and... Stand pipes because they had two days of sunshine. Well, what are they doing with all this water? <laughs> you know, and next minute you, you get a nice summer that people can go on holiday and they go, oh, it's global warming, it's global warming. <laughs> That's all year now. You know, we've got to get the temperature down. Well, start walking out, you know, um, when you're freezing cold and then say it's global warming. Okay. All right, then let's see what we've got for the next one. Here we go. Let's see what I can find.
Okay, so for our next uh, bit of news and the way it's been reported, much lighter. We've got to get got to get the odd light one in, otherwise we'd we'd go off our heads. I think. Um, now the signpost turned landmark marking mainland Britain's most southwesterly point has seen hundreds of thousands of visitors flock to post beside it since it was erected in the 1950s. So this is the, um, you're at Land's End. You know, people always walk to it and have a photograph taken. And um, this guy called Peter Puddyfat is a photographer who snapped visitors at this iconic signpost for 28 years. Just retired, he's 79. He said the Land's End has decided not to renew his contract with the local company that put the sign up. Penzance-based photo processing company Courtwood uh, Photographic has held a contract and owned the signpost for almost seven decades. During this time there, Peter has taken pictures of several celebrities at the uh, signpost, including people like Chris Evans, Gary Barlow and um, various other professors and people like that. Anyway, um, so the question I ask is, have you been to that signpost and had the sign saying Manchester 700 and whatever miles or whatever or Salford or something like that? Have you done that? Of course I've done it. Because Ailey's uh, brother and sister live down there. And when, when we go down, we always go and have a look. I don't, I don't know why tracks are silly. It's just the force. And then all you see out is sea. But it's Land's End. It's the, you know, it's the most, is, what is it? Um, Easterly Point or Southerly Point or whatever it is. Yeah. And, uh, and there's a photographer there all the time. So the, the, they're not having the contract for this photographer anymore. Yeah. Well, it, it was a fella who was earning a couple of quid. And he'd send you, and, and he'd give you a nice um, photograph of yourself and, and your missus or whoever you're with or all your friends for a couple of quid. So, so now you you know what's going to happen now. Council will come in, they'll they'll put out prices up, and nobody will want taking them. So what you've got to do is set your own then in future. I mean, I've took loads of pictures for other people. You know where one's been taking their family. I say, hey, I give it here. I'll take yours. You get in with them. So you've got a full family thing. Yeah. Well, it, it's I don't know what it does. Doesn't it? It's a signpost that that draws you there when you. When you're in, you know, Penzance, Cornwall and that, it draws you to it for going to have another photograph saying, I don't know what it is. I must be going off my mind. <laughs> OK, uh, where will we go next? Uh, yes, here's the next one. Okay, as you know, uh, New Year's Eve, everybody builds up and, you know, uh, makes your plans and everybody's parties are doing this, that and the other. Eurostar cancelled all of its services for New Year's Eve, leaving around 30,000 furious passengers stranded in London and ruining their New Year's Eve plans after flooding hit the major tunnel connecting Britain to mainland Europe. Many hoping to ring in 2024 with a romantic night in Paris, uh, watch fireworks from the ski slope or enjoy a family holiday to Disneyland have been left devastated with some left in tears uh, at St Pancras International Airport. Uh, sorry, uh, railway station that would be. Uh, the disruption began uh, when water-filled tunnels at Ebbsfleet International in Kent disrupting all the high-speed services south of the Thames. Did you see that? And um, what did I it? I saw that water pumping out of a out of a tube straight onto the lines. I start thinking about. Hang on a minute. Have we got enough concrete somewhere here? But you know, how, how does all that get? It was pumping in gallons, hundreds of gallons of uh, water, about a minute, filling all these lines up. What's a weird one? Was it a setup? Was it a setup? Just so they didn't want to, they didn't want to work, or they didn't have enough drivers, or whatever. I don't know. Well, there were people that were sort of making comments that they didn't really understand for a minute how on earth it could be flooding like that. 
but I, I mean, extreme weather, you'll always have problems anyway. Um, but you'd have thought that they would have thought that one long and hard and well before it happened. Yeah. Uh, it, it begs to believe we, UK get tons and tons of rain all the time. And then all of a sudden, it comes to uh, Christmas Eve or New Year's Eve or whatever, and you can't go through uh, Channel Tunnel because it's flooded. Well, it's going underneath the Thames. So is, it, there's not an all in top of this concrete, is it? It's pumping it into, you know, into the system. I don't know. You better get your civil engineers on it. Let's see where we're going. Okay, so um, what do you think of the comedy of Jason Manford? No, thanks. <laughs> all right. funny at all. What about uh, Paddy McGuinness? Uh, I can stand a bit of him, yeah. But he's falling into this category. You can't, you know, you can't get on subjects that are a little bit, you know, near to bone or something like that. Look, I mean, yeah, I like Paddy McGinn. This is all right. Okay, it's just basically I picked this up in the um, papers, which I hadn't realised, and it was something which um, I thought, well, well, I think Neil might know about this. Jason Manford has revealed Paddy McGuinness sacked him as the support act for his stand-up tour because he was too funny. The comic is 42. He's heading back out on tour next year around the same time as Paddy, who is returning to stand-up after an eight-year absence. Speaking exclusively to the male, uh, Jason uh, Manford fondly recalls how he was chosen to be Paddy's warm-up man for the Take Me Out host's debut tour in 2006, but was axed for getting too many laughs. So, uh, obviously not your cup of tea, but um, th there are quite a few people that seem to like him. Well, that, that, that's that, listen, everybody's got their own opinion. I, I'd preferred all the old comedians, you know, Charlie yeah. White, Bernard Manning, yes. you know, Andy. Jim Davidson, you know, all them. That, that, were, that were called a joke. And the trouble with wokes is they don't know what a joke is. No. And now you've got... Uh, Jason, he has to stick into that into that category, but I, I wouldn't have been if I'd have been a comedian. I wouldn't have been worried about him being too funny for for a warm up act. I'd have been quite willing for go on behind him. But if Paddy don't want, you don't want really two comedians, do you? A warm up one, and then the main one comes on. Yeah, you know, oh. you only get a girl singer, don't you? As, as your, your warm up acts and that. Yeah, but no, I'm not a lover of Jason Mountford. No, I don't think he's funny. Okay, um, I, I've got to say that uh, th that particular area, you've got, you know, Peter Kay obviously there as well. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, you, you wonder why there is so much good humour in that area. Because we, we, we know them people, we like having a laugh. You can take Mickey out of us. You can do what you want because it's a laugh and it gets, it, it gets people happy. And... It, it, I mean, some of them do used to pick on the audience. Me sometimes, like when I've been at uh, Manning's Club. You take it as a joke. That's what it's about. Everybody enjoying themselves. You know, you, you, you can't you can't enjoy yourself anymore in the UK. And comedians, I feel sorry for them. Because they, 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 they're wrapped up in this, you know, all this, oh, you can't say that, and you're not allowed to do that. Peter Kay talks about his own family, his aunties, his uncles, and the, and the characters that they are or what they used to do, you know. And it's funny, you know. And all, all the comedians, you know, you, you had your Englishman, Irishman, Scotsman joke. That was, you're not trying to derogate, uh, you know, Irish and Scottish and English people. You're just telling a joke that makes people laugh. And that's what the world is missing out on. Absolutely. And, uh, I mean, for me... Whenever I'm sort of getting a bit fed up with things, I, I look around to see uh, the sort of things that will make me laugh, make me 
<clears throat> you know, cheer me up, make me feel happier. Uh, for example, over the Christmas period, I saw a few of the old... Um, um, some others do have them was one I was lo- looking at. Michael uh, Crawford, huh? Yeah, which was, was very funny. Uh, there was a bit of um, faulty towers about. Uh, but I, I did that's like... That's funny. Yeah, no, that's funny. But I, th- I, I thought David Jason and yeah. uh, Rodders, uh, I mean, they were so well written, those uh, scripts, weren't they? Yeah, but they were written with humour in mind. Not... Well, they just wrote them as is, and and they didn't have people say, "Well, you can't say that. You'll have to put another word in for." That. No, no, get on with it. It's a joke. It's to make you happy, not to have you there with a a, a pad and a paper and say, "Well, oh, I'm going to complain about that." Did you hear what he just said about this and that and so that? No, get on with your life and get some happiness back into it. Yeah, I mean, when, uh, for example, if you switch on to the live at the Apollo show. I mean, really, it's just become a forum for people to uh, politicise or advertise the fact that they're gay or something like that, you know, which basically, who cares, you know? Get get back, go on to whatever it is you can go on, Google, right, and put the comedians back on, all of them, you know, Ken Goodwin, you know, Vernon Manning, uh, Jim Davidson, Charlie White. The Yorkshireman, the, the, the coloured fella from Yorkshire. Yeah. He used to take, take Mickey out of himself. You know, now you can't talk about anything. If the English, Irish, Scottish, African, whatever, you can't say anything about them. But as I say, Peter Kay, I find him funny because he talks about his granny, you know, what she used to do. And when you look back at what your granny did, where it were exactly the same, and you thought it were funny then, your grandma do it, and now somebody's telling you a joke with it. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Okay, well, look, I think that's about as far as we need to go. Um, I think that uh, we've covered most of the things that uh, I spotted in the papers over the last week. And obviously, all that I need to do now is wish you a very happy new year. Uh, yeah. Health and happiness and all that other stuff, and uh, you say you're off in about a fortnight. Yeah, uh, I think I've two more and then I go. Brilliant. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, well, we'll we'll wish you both well. Um, and and we wish you and Anna a very happy New Year, and all our listeners that tune in and like us, that'll do us. Lovely. Lovely. Catch you next week, Neil, and see then um, we'll see what else I can find for you. Cheers, Neil. Okay, okay. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Speak to you soon.